I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaisa van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Hi, dog guardians from around the world. Welcome to another bonus episode of Rough Around the Edges. And today's episode was inspired by a conversation I had with my youngest son. Or rather, it was more of a verbal scolding I got from him in jest, I must add. But conversations such as those with my son, they often inspire a whole train of thoughts in me. That's how my brain works. And I thought I would use that to talk with you about our dogs and the role our mind and mindset plays. So what happened was that my son was making pizza dough in the kitchen. He was going to bake the pizza for us. And so I believe his question was about the amount of olive oil that goes into the dough. So I put olive oil into my pizza dough. An Italian colleague of mine, former colleague of mine, gave me that recipe. I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but that's what we do in my house. Now the question is, how much olive oil? And this was what my son wanted to know. And I really couldn't tell him. I said, it's a splash or a dollop you just take the bottle of olive oil and you go doob 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 kind of Swedish chef-ish if you know the Muppet Show. And of course he goes, why do you always do that? Why can't you just tell me an amount? Just tell me how much. And he even said, I noticed grandma does it too. And it made me laugh because I remember feeling the way he felt or he feels. I still feel it most of the time when there's a recipe or something going on. You ask someone, how much of this? How thick should the batter be? How thin should the batter be? All of those things. And you get an answer in the sense of, you'll know, or a little bit, a splash. It's maddening, (laughs) absolutely maddening. I go, give it to me in milliliters, in cups, in spoons, grams, ounces, pounds, whatever your unit of measurement is, but give me something specific. And this was precisely what my son was saying now and what he was blaming me of doing. Not giving him specifics, giving him something that he couldn't work off of. And he rightfully pointed out that I did the same thing when I was teaching him how to make pancakes and how to prepare the batter. Because I just told him, well, I can't give you any quantities. I just throw in flowers and eggs and milk until the consistency looks okay-ish to me. And then 
the batter pours from the ladle in a certain <laughs> unspecified, not very quantifiable way, and then you know it's right. And I remembered that first time that he asked me about it, um, about this specific thing, because he'd also been working all, on all other kinds of recipes, that back in the day he also gave me that look of, oh, is this going to be one of those, you'll see the consistency kind of things? And it made me laugh when I had to say yes to that. Because A, I really couldn't tell him quantities. And B, I also remembered my own frustration in similar situations with my mom, with my grandpa, with teachers or other authority figures, I want to say, who I believe were just going to give me a recipe, who were just going to give me quantities, numbers, quantifiable stuff, and then they didn't. And of course, the truth is that our parents probably also really couldn't give us quantities or numbers. For example, coming back to pizza dough, which is what started off this podcast episode and my thought train, um, it depends on the weather, it depends on the humidity, the type of flour, all kinds of things, who knows? as to how the consistency is going to be, as to how the dough turns out, as to how supple it's going to be. It probably depends a little bit on whether you're kneading with a machine or by hand, all of those things. So there is not really a set number, even though we would love to have it. And even though it's frustrating to hear that it's not there. And so it's the same with our dogs. See, this is how my brain works. I promise you, we get to the dogs in the end. It might take a bit of a detour, but we'll get there. So the same with our dogs. We want to know the recipe. We want to know the steps. We want to know the dog training version of what a dollop or a splash is. If we're talking distance to a trigger, we want to know it in yards or feet, whatever your measurement is. We want someone to tell us when the right time is to move closer, to take up our training um, a little bit, to step it up a notch. When we scatter treats, like our trainer said, we want to know if then else scenarios. We either just want it to work and for our dog to take the treats, or if they don't, we want to know precise instructions as to what to do next. So... If your dog doesn't take treats, move further away, um, change the type of treat, and then preferably if it's a kind of t change the type of treat for something higher value, we want to know what specifically is higher value. We would love to know that too. We basically want the dog training version of your oven manual or a recipe that says when you're using a convection oven instead of a conventional oven, you want to reduce the temperature by 25 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit or about 15 degrees Celsius for us metric people. The question is, why? Why do we want to know these specifics? Why do we feel so maddened when someone says a dollop or a splash instead of giving us specifics? And I almost want you to, if you're listening to this while walking your dog or whatnot, to pause the podcast 
and ask yourself that question. Why? Why do we want to know? Why do we believe that we need others to tell us how to do it? Now, I've thought about it, and I want to wager that the reason is that we don't trust ourselves to do it because we're afraid of the consequences. What if we don't get it right? What if we end up damaging our dog? What, heaven forbid, if we fail? What if it's us? And the answers to those questions, they might be very uncomfortable. And in all honesty, we're probably not ready to deal with that kind of discomfort. We just want to avoid it. It's kind of a human thing to do. Discomfort is icky. Don't want to go there. And so the easiest way is to relinquish responsibility to whoever provided the recipe, to a trainer. Because if the dog trainer provided the wrong method or didn't give all the instructions, then it's not our fault that we failed. And we just actually didn't fail. We were simply lacking the direction. We were lacking the specifics, the milliliters instead of the splash. There was a part of the information missing. For example, in a, in a dog training scenario, it could be the part of information that was missing. What do you do with dog encounters on a super narrow path when you can't create distance? I didn't have that piece of information. The trainer didn't give it to me. So, okay, it was the trainer's fault. Now I didn't fail. We're just simply lacking direction. And what about the part where we fear damaging our dog? Again, if this is the underlying thought, the way our brain works is that we want to avoid this at all costs. We want to avoid damaging our dog. So if that fear is present then naturally we want all the information that we can get. We want every detail to be provided to us so that we can minimize that risk. We want the reinsurance of the foolproof training method of that idiot-proof recipe so that we can be sure of not doing anything wrong. The caveat there, though, is that while we wait for that reinsurance... We're also not doing anything, quote-unquote, right either, though. Maybe, and I would like you to consider this thought for a bit, maybe not doing anything, not even trying, is actually what's damaging our dog, what's doing the damage. What if the only way we can get it right is by trying lots of stuff ourselves. What if the only way that the dog training can work is by messing it up and then trying it again and messing it up and then trying it again? So my son, though he was annoyed at first, now bakes the best pancakes and also knows exactly how much he needs to make for a certain amount of people. So the first time I heard him say that he needed to go to the shop to buy more eggs because we only had six or so eggs left, I asked him, 
Have you been drinking? He's 13, so no. He needed 10, he said, because the neighbor kids were also coming. And it turns out he was right. He knew how many pancakes had been left over the last time or um, how many more he could have eaten that time that there weren't enough. So he factored everything in, his appetite, his brother's appetite, our neighbors, all of it. And he knew that he just needed to make a lot and that he needed a lot of eggs and we only had six and six did not qualify as a lot. And the only reason he knew it was because he tried before and he tried it in different circumstances and different scenarios. And sometimes he had ended up making way too many pancakes. And sometimes he'd ended up eating a sandwich after dinner because he was still hungry. And sometimes he'd used less eggs and found out that he preferred the richer golden type of pancakes with a higher egg content instead. And he could never have known what to do or how to adapt the if-then-else of the specific situations without all of that prior experience. And I can hear you say, or that's that's where my brain goes, yeah, but it's different with dogs. Nobody dies if you mess up the pancakes. But someone could die if you mess up the dog. Possibly the dog itself. And I thought about that and I thought, well, guess what? If you are going into training with that thought, somebody could die. What do you believe the outcome is? What kind of feeling is triggered in you when you're afraid of that outcome? Truly, you'll probably be too paralyzed to do anything. And then, okay, why not go the other way and say, because there's always two ways you can go about it, right? You can think, if I believe that, how do I feel? What will be the outcome for me? And then can I maybe change the thought so that I get to a better outcome? But let's just assume that we want to keep that thought of, yeah, something could go really wrong with our dogs. They are, you know... Killing machines with extremely sharp teeth. Um, So the other way to go about it would be to investigate the thought and say, okay, well, what if that is true? Right? Knowing that that is a risk. Then what? Now what do we want to do? This is facing your demons. You have to acknowledge that the demons are there or you can't do anything about it. So, yeah, someone could end up dead. It could be a human if you have an aggressive dog. It could be, in the end, the dog itself if it's being put down because of some kind of a bite incident. I don't want to make this too much of a morbid episode, but this is the worst case scenario. What you can do then is to really investigate that thought really think it through okay so now what somebody could die what now and when you investigate the thought that's when you will actually end up with a whole lot more of information on how you want to proceed with training 
and possibly how much information you want or need even from a trainer and how much information you actually need from yourself. Because maybe the real question that you weren't willing to ask and the one that you do need to ask yourself is not about the specific training steps that are required at all, but maybe the question you need to ask is how much risk am I willing to expose myself and others to? Maybe that's the answer that you need to find. Okay, that just got a little bit deep. I guess what I'm trying to say with this episode is what I say often and what I always say, and that's you gotta either stay or get curious. Ask why a lot. And when you feel frustration about something, like not being provided with the specific measurements in a recipe or the specific training steps or if-then-else steps in a behavior modification protocol or training protocol, when you get maddened by all of that, that's the perfect opportunity to ask yourself why and then to investigate that part. And I promise that will help you grow and it will help improve the relationship with your dog. If you're fascinated by how your mind works and if you want to see if there are any underlying questions that need answering and that would be good to get to in order to improve your life, both the part that involves your dog and the part that doesn't, although let's face it, they're so intertwined that in reality they're one and the same, um, then coaching might be what you want. Book a consult on the website, kaisafanoverbake.com. You can see how it's spelled in the about info of the podcast. And then we can figure out if we're a good fit or not. In any case, I hope this was helpful. If you like this podcast, you know, leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or go to the podcast on my website and leave a comment um, underneath this episode. Love reading from you. Love hearing from you. Have a great week.